and it was one of those times where he about laid out the whole sermon, except that I already had people scheduled to preach, so it's taken three weeks before I got a chance to preach. So uh, I've been marinating on this for a while. But I want to just, I want to teach a little bit. We'll, we'll get into it, and I believe that God wants to change lives and do what he does best on, on Sunday mornings. But there's a lot of times that people have questions. A lot of times that people are, are wondering the why. And I will tell you that, again, if you'll get into God's words, you'll find that he's able to answer the why pretty easily. So... Hang with me for a moment. I, I will promise you up front that there is no way, shape, or form that this is a political sermon. But just hang with me because you may go, well, wait a second. You're getting a little bit on current events. I am, but I want to answer the question. Because on May 24th, we learned that an 18-year-old boy shot his grandmother in the head and then drove to the Robb Elementary School there in Uvalde, Texas. He, he shot at people on his way. He shot at people while he was in the parking lot. And finally gaining entrance to that class and that school, he got into an adjoining classroom. And there, when the final tally was done, two teachers dead, 17, or 19 children dead as well, 17 others wounded. Those news, it comes, we, we hear it, it's, it's those stories that grab the attention. And, and I'll be honest, when I first heard the news, again, my heart broke. It grieves me to know innocents were killed, that innocent children, innocent adults had lost their life. And, and, and we grieve with that. But invariably, the news and the political machinations begin to ask the question, what can we do to ne- make sure this never happens Again, it was all over. It's every time I turned on the news, every time I got on on Facebook, every time I looked at the news on my phone. That was the question: What can we do? What law can we enact? What 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 pro, protocols can we put in place? And again, I'd like to just tell you: While I'm for some of the things they say, and probably looking cross-eyed at other things that they 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 may decide to do, but the answer is this: Are you ready? You cannot stop evil. Watch this. There is no amount of law that anybody can enact that will stop a person that has already decided in his heart, I'm going to break God's moral law, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. If a person is willing to get to the place where they will, will, will make up their minds, I'm going to take the life of someone, promise you that if they broke God's law, they will break every one of man's law. And so it is that this, this question of why, 
is answered actually within the pages of the Bible, not the pages of politics, not through psychology, not even through mental health. And you know by this time I'm a pastor that believes firmly in mental health and making sure we have all of the tools at our disposal to help you and I conquer things that we go through. But the answer to the why is not going to be found in another law. The answer to the why will not be found in someone's pontifications, but the why is found in Scripture. I want to take you to the book of Genesis chapter 2, and I sure hope you have your Bible with you. It'll be on the screen, I know, because I gave Sister Jeannie our, our verses for today, but why don't you turn there as well. We'll start in chapter, or chapter 2, verse 7, and then we'll, we'll walk through it. I want to remind you where evil comes from. So we have the pages of the Bible beginning to unfold. We have creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And chapter 1 leads us into the days of creation, what all God did. Chapter 2 begins to take it a step further. Verse 7 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the middle or in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you remember that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's look down at verse 15. Uh, of of 15, 17. And the Lord took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now I would like to just stop for a moment, preach a half a sermon of something else just because I love the fact that people always get bent out of shape of the nose that God puts in our life. Not this nose, but the N-O-S. We always fixate on the thou shalt nots. I don't know how many trees were there, but and I realize they probably, probably didn't have quite the diversity of trees that we have. There was probably, really honestly, only one kind of apple tree. Now we've got a lot of different apple trees that through cultivation and genetics we've we've got granny smiths and we've got jonathans and we've got fiji and we've got golden delicious but there was probably one apple tree but there was probably an almond tree and there was a fig tree and there was a a, 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 a lemon tree all of these trees the lord said you can eat of all these trees ever a pecan tree and a hickory tree whatever you want eat of every tree don't eat one tree and you will find in life that God's positive commandments always outweigh God's negative commandments. So don't get sidetracked and don't let someone else sidetrack you because that's what the devil did. Don't let someone sidetrack you to get fixated on the one thing God said be careful of and forget all of the things that God said enjoy. 
Because living for God is not a life of no. It's a life of abundance. The Bible says you shall have life and that more abundantly. Living for God allows you to do so much more. That's why Paul had to say, when you are saved, be careful with the liberty God gives you. Because you're no longer slaves. But it is that in that garden, he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He didn't say you couldn't hang out under it. He didn't say you could hang a hammock in the He just said don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then chapter 3 opens up in Genesis and the devil, this serpent, this sly beast comes in and he begins to say, did God actually say that? Do you really think God meant it? I mean, come on, don't you think God is, is holding out on you that if you would eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, think of the knowledge you would get. You would be like God. God doesn't want you to be as smart as God. God doesn't want you to, to have all of the things that he has. And so, really, he's keeping it from you. If you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like And so when the woman saw it, when the woman grabbed, when Eve looked at it and she uh, partook of that, that, that fruit and then she gave it to Adam who was with her and he did eat. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to cover their sin. What happened at that moment changed the course of human history forever. Because at that moment, they had the knowledge of evil. Up until this point, they had existed in the, in the image of God. They, they lived in a life of perfection. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no thoughts of murder. But this one act of disobedience and partaking of the tree that God said don't eat, and they willingly disobeyed God's express commandment. They ate of the tree and they gained knowledge of good. They also gained knowledge of evil. Before they ate, they, they could not even fathom evil. Before they ate, they wouldn't have imagined that bad things could have ever happened. They couldn't have imagined further evil. I, I don't know if they had any children at that point. I don't think they did. But, but they could never imagine that one of their sons would someday pick up a rock and bash his brother in the skull and kill him and then hide the body as if nothing ever happened. They lived in that garden of evil and they were just one choice away. It reminds me, and we'll get to it here in a moment, Romans chapter 1. But it reminds me of Romans chapter 1 uh, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they professed to be foolish. They thought they were wise. They thought they had all of this knowledge, but instead they become very foolish. Because their choice to disobey awakened humanity to this this choice. Again, using that word, this choice. Because unfortunately, the, the choice and the choosing of eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it proceeded out of their rebellion. It proceeded out of their disobedience. And so while they had a choice, while they had the knowledge of good and evil, mankind's heart is always bent now towards evil. Have you ever noticed that our ability to choose between good and evil almost always leads us to evil? Now, 
murder someone, that's evil, we would say. But I'm trying to teach a hyphen class, and we're learning in the book of Romans, so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, they, they dealt with it last Sunday while, while Sister Buford and I were going in Romans chapter 1. But, but God doesn't look at evil with levels. Evil is the absence of good. Evil is the disobedience of God's law. And so if you have ever told a lie, you have done evil. So while probably a lot of you have thought about killing someone, be honest, you've harbored those thoughts, I'm going to kill them. Like the dude yesterday that cut me off in the middle of the highway and Buford came out and I honked my horn for probably three minutes straight. Had to pull it back down. If I'd have had... Missiles on my car. So, so the, the, the knowledge of good and evil, we, we have the knowledge. Now, here's the good thing. Most of you have the knowledge, I want to kill someone, or I'm thinking about killing someone, but you've not done it. You have the knowledge, but you've not done it. You with me? But you also have the knowledge of I've got to tell the truth. But from the time you were old enough to talk, Maybe even before you could talk, but you could still communicate. We were found it very easy when mom says, what are you doing? And you say, nothing. Because with this knowledge of good and evil comes the choice. And humanity now has a proclivity towards choosing wrong and leaning towards evil. Adam and Eve are... are, are the Bible talks about man loves darkness now. Men were, were creatures of darkness. And so it is that Adam and Eve, they gained the knowledge of good and evil. But it caused them to do wrong. And in doing so, it, you find the, as soon as they ate it, the next phrase says they're hiding away from God's presence. They've tried to cover their sin with human abilities. They've, they've sewed fig leaves together. The fig leaves have wilted. They're not covering anything. And so it is that because of this knowledge of good and evil, it, it should, the knowledge of good, should propel us into the arms of a loving God, but instead it causes us to go away from God's presence and we hide in the shadows racked with guilt and shame because of the knowledge of evil. And so it is that the age-old question that philosophers love to debate, is man inherently good or is man inherently evil? Well, biblically the answer is clear. We are inherently evil. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We, we've got all of that. And so it is, while we can choose good, I know plenty of people who are dirty, rotten sinners, who have not an ounce of God's redemptive presence in their life that make good choices occasionally. I'm thankful that here in America, we tend on a whole to make some good choices. We don't run people over. We want to, but we don't. We don't murder them. The, 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 the majority of, of people in America, we're not going to steal from someone. We could see a, an open car window and we, we, we may be tempted, but we're not going to steal the purse that's out there. So man can make good choices. But overall, 
we lean towards evil. Many times we may see a godless person doing something good, but again, we lie rather than tell the truth. So we, we, we how about this one? This may hit all of you. We tend towards selfishness rather than selflessness. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but we co-evil. Doug Ellingsworth, the district superintendent of, the tennis, uh, of, of Tennessee, we were with him this week, and I was kind of talking about this, and he made this statement, and I had him repeat it, and I wrote it down. He said the worst thing that happened in the Garden of Eden is that they had the knowledge of good and evil, but the inability to reconcile the two. We've fallen. And so man now has the knowledge of evil. What did they do with that knowledge? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. Let's look at what they did with the knowledge of evil. The Bible says, for the wrath of God, verse 18, uh, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. Don't teach me. Don't preach to me. Don't tell me what God has. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. No one is without excuse. His invisible attributes, mainly His eternal power, divine nature, They're clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are not without excuse. The next verse says it this, For they knew God, again, knowledge of good and evil. They knew God, but they did not honor God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Exchange the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with, men, with women and were consumed with passion one for another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetedness and malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips and slanderers, haters of God. They're insolent, they're haughty, they're boastful. Watch this. Inventors of evil. You know, I I love to read. I've been telling you this. I'm on a reading journey right now. And, and I'm reading a book, and it started talking about some of the first cotton gins. Somebody had the bright idea, so cotton grows on a plant. And it's a fluffy white cotton ball with the seed inside, and you got to get the seed out. So b- before the cotton gin was invented, manpower had to do it. It became a slave power, but manpower had to do it. You had to pick those bowls, what they call bowls, B-O-L-L-S, of cotton, and then painstakingly every cotton bowl, you had to open up and pull that seed out. It was very time-consuming. But they figured out that they could make a cotton gin that would take the cotton and chop it up and get rid of all of that. Somebody was sitting around, it was Eli Whitney I believe was one of them, but it probably had some others that thought. They were sitting around, they had knowledge. 
And they were dreaming up, how can we do this better? some point, they said, you know what, this whole writing a letter and mailing and it taking three months to get to somebody, what if we string a line that has electrical pulses and we can tap this key and it will do dots and dashes and it's called Morse code. Someone invented that because they had knowledge. The Bible says that we had the knowledge of evil. So guess what we do? We sit around and about the time you think mankind has sunk to the lowest point on the scale of morality and righteousness, we have the knowledge so we invent more ways. You could take away every dangerous weapon in the entire world with one snap of your fingers. No more guns, no more bombs, no more arrows, no more bows, no more knives. And we would find ways to kill each other. You can put them in boxes. You can live as a hermit. And we would invent new ways. Why? Because we have the knowledge of good and evil. Going back to our verse, their disobedience to parents. They're foolish. They're faithless. They're heartless. They're ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They know they're doing wrong. But not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. One of the greatest dangers affecting the apostolic church today is not the fact that you're doing sin, but that sometimes we just approve of it. Why? Because we have the knowledge of good and evil. So it is, Jeremiah 13, 23, when God is trying to talk to a backslidden, horrible path that Israel is on. He makes this statement, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? There is this also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now that's a really kind of roundabout, uh, uh, kind of a tongue twister. It's simply this. Can a leopard, cha- leopard change his spots? What's the answer? No. Then you can't do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Or look at Hosea chapter 4. Turn with me to the book of Hosea chapter 4 and, and, and we'll see what it has to say particularly in Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 Hosea chapter 4 oh that's Daniel Hosea is what I'm looking for Hosea chapter 4 writes this way okay I've hit 3 I've hit 5 there's got to be a 4 somewhere there we go Hosea 4, chapter 1. The Lord, or hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with thee. He's got a problem. There is no faithfulness. There is no steadfast love. There is no knowledge of God in the land. But there is swearing and lying. There is uh, murder and stealing. And there is committing adultery. They break all the bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodsheds. Therefore the man, the land, mourns. No faithfulness to God, but there sure is a lot of murder. No love for God, but there sure is a lot of love for evil. Why? Because man is inherently evil. And so you you say, well, well, thank you for this, this philosophical understanding. But it goes deeper than that. It's why Jesus came to earth. It's why God said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to manifest my presence into the lives of humanity because I've got to fix this moral problem. 
I don't have time to get there, but, but go read the end of Revelation chapter 9. After you've come through the trumpets and you come through the vials and all of the punishments that God is sending onto the earth and you get to the very last verse of Revelation chapter 9 and it says this, that even with everything bad that was happening and they know that it's the punishment of God, they did not repent and they kept doing evil. That's why Paul begins to write and if I, I mean, I have a lot of favorite verses, and, and probably I lie to y'all because I'll be preaching. I'll say this is my favorite verse, and then about three, chat, three sermons later, I'll tell you another verse is my favorite verse. I just love the Bible, so I'm not trying to lie to y'all. I just love the Bible. But if there was ever a, a, a chapter that changed my life, it was when I was going to Gateway, and Brother James Littles was teaching the book of Romans, and we got to Romans 7. And for the first time in my life, it began to all click. When Paul, and, and again, I, I'm not going to read it all, but Paul begins to write in there, he, he talks about the law, and he talks about how the law seems to always convict him and, and all of that. Read it, but he gets to the place, he says, but in me is the ability to do good. I know what good is. I know what I should do. Look at, look at, uh, uh, let me see if I can find it for just, just a moment. Uh, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Why? Because man was given the choice and the knowledge of good and evil. We know what's right. Every one of us has a conscience inside of our lives that when we begin to even look at doing something wrong, that conscience, that God conscience begins to scream. I don't care if you're a cold, heartless sinner. There is a conscience inside that begins to scream, you're doing wrong. But eventually we begin to silence that conscience. We make it seared. We, we, we make it hardened. And we do the things we know is wrong. Why? Because of this, I want to do good. I know good, but evil is present with me. And I always seem to choose evil. And so then, Paul ends Romans 7. And he begins to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And, and, and he, he, he's saying in my mind, and there's a whole lot that's wrapped up in that verse. There's a whole lot of layers. But what he's saying is, am I ever going to get delivered from this knowledge of good and evil, yet the bent to always do evil? It's Romans chapter 5. Turn there. It's just a couple pages before chapter 7 in case you don't know where Romans chapter 5 is. And you can read there in verse 12. It says, by one man... World, the, the, just as sin came into the world by one man and death through sin and sin spread to all men because all have sinned. Talks about Adam. Because of Adam and Eve's failure, we're cursed. But I love the fact that he doesn't leave it there. He says, but if many, verse 15, but if many have died through one man's trespass, then how much more the grace of God and the free gift of grace that by one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many, that we understand this. If 
if Adam's sin and Adam's choosing and that knowledge of good and evil has damned mankind to that bent of always being evil, there was something else that becomes greater than Adam. And that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That there was a moment in history where God said, I've had enough. I've let them go long enough and I'm going to come down and I will have the knowledge of good and evil but I will choose good for we have a high priest the writer of Hebrews says that says he was touched by our infirmities and he was tempted in all ways like as you were tempted yet without sin and Jesus said let me show you that humanity can get back the right equilibrium you can get back to having the knowledge of good and evil but you can do the right things through Christ who strengthens you why do we talk about salvation? Why, why do we make a big deal when we go to kids' camps and, and they're 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids? Why do we celebrate the fact that out of 400 kids, 55 of them receive the Holy Ghost for the first time? Because that child at 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 years old is going to live the remainder of their life with the knowledge of good and evil, but with the ability to do right. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time. I, I, I could spend another three or four hours. I could show you how almost every verse in the Bible somehow goes back to this point. That your redemption and my redemption is not just to wipe the sins away. But to change your mind. David said, renew my mind. Why? Because David said, when I was on top of the, of the building and, and I should have been fighting the battle and I'm looking out and then lust is coming back and forth and I know I'm a man after God's own heart and I know I'm the king. God, you anointed me. But David said, I'm pulling this way. I have the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good is, David, get off that, that roof as fast as you can and then put up the biggest fence you can. Don't do it, David. The knowledge of good says, David, you look too long. You better, you better guard your mind. David, don't pick up that phone and call her. David, don't go over there and knock on her house. David, don't let her into the inner parts of, the, of, of, your, temp, of your, your, your palace. That's the knowledge of good. But evil went to her door and knocked brazenly. Evil brought him into the chamber. Evil had a lust, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, and I know I'm kind of taking it out of context, but that lust that conceived, it brought forth sin, and that sin ultimately brought forth the death of that unborn child. And so David finds a place of repentance. He says, when I want to do good, evil's present with me. I know David didn't write Romans 7, but he sure could have. He says, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Wash me with hyssop. Purge me. Make me white as snow. What was he saying? I'm tired of having the knowledge, but choosing wrong. Here's the thing. I'm 42 years old. 
I received the gift of the Holy Ghost when I was eight, baptized around that same time. But I sure do know what temptation is. I've, I've, I've felt it just as you felt it, and I've succumbed to it just like you've succumbed to it. Because I had the knowledge of good and evil, but I kept leaning towards evil. But now I can stand here and tell you that you can live an overcoming life. You don't have to always be bent to evil. Now, here, here, here's what happens. Evil is partly your appetite. David, the temptation is there, but David kept feeding that appetite. One look, two looks, knock on a door. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God gives you the ability. The, the temptations are not going to go away. The knowledge of evil is not going to go away. You're going to constantly be bombarded by those temptations. You're constantly going to have, and, and, and I, I played around with it and asked Sister Rache before she left. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly going to have the, the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder like the cartoons show you. That pull, that tug is always going to be there. But something got changed because no longer do we live with the human nature of Adam. The fallen nature of Adam. But when you are born again, you are born with his nature. And you, in a sense, and, and this is very simplistic, but I, I believe it with all my heart, that Adam and Eve were born into perfection in the garden. And if everything would have continued in that perfection, there would have been no need for redemption and a Savior and a cross and Calvary. But sin separated them from God. But, but the cross in Calvary is bringing it back to a relationship with him. To where ultimately, when he calls us home and we step into heaven. What does the Bible say is going to be at heaven? He says, oh, and there is the tree of life. That same tree that existed in the garden that gave them immortality is now in heaven because God said, I don't want you to live forever in your sin and in your trespasses. But now that you are saved, I want you to live forever with me. I go and prepare a place for you, a place of holiness, a place of, a place of perfection, a place where good only abounds. And so it is today as you stand. And I realize there's multiple ways that we can end it. You can walk out of here and say, man, I understand a little bit better what good and evil is. And that's an absolute uh, a positive way to respond. That when someone tries to tell you that man is inherently good, you can come back to the verses I gave and the sermon I preached and the word of God will preach. I, I want you to do that. But I also think there's this secondary response. Some of us need to get into the presence of God and say, God, my Adam nature is a little bit too dominant right now. I need my Christ nature to rise. That's why it talks about you put the old man on the altar. That's why you leave the old man behind. That's why you, you, it says the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You've got to lay down the old man that has the knowledge of good and evil but does evil. And you've got to put on the new man in Christ Jesus that has the knowledge of good and evil but has the ability to do what is
So that might be your response today. Maybe you're saved, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you've been baptized, but you're struggling with that Adam nature keeping rising up. This is your opportunity to come to an altar and say, God, let me, let me get things back in order. But if you're here in this building and you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you've never repented of your sins, never told God you're sorry, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, then you are living completely with that Adamic nature, Adam's nature, and that's why you're finding it so hard to live right. Because you're trying to fight a battle with both hands tied behind your back and both feet tied behind your back. You're never going to win because man is inherently evil. But when you surrender your life to Christ, and you're willing to acknowledge I've sinned and come short of His glory. And you're willing to let the waters of baptism that represents the blood He shed for you wash those sins away. And you're filled with His Spirit. Then you can be an overcomer. And you can do all things through Christ. Which even means you can win the battle of temptation. You have the knowledge of good and evil. But you choose good. Would you lift your hands as I take you this far and I put the mic down as they begin to sing and play we open these altars Our, we, we, we don't tell you when to leave we want you to take as much time as you need to be right with him would you spend some time in his presence Lord we preach your word as you've given it to us Lord I've given everything that you've given me and God they have received it and it's up to this, this these that hear the word it's up to them to respond and to make it their own. I pray that you would touch them, Lord. We can be overcomers. We can be good. We can be righteous. Not our own righteousness, but your righteousness imputed unto us, we pray. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Would you respond as God draws you?